The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus summoned the crowd again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that enters one from outside can defile that person. But the things that come out from within are what defile. When he got home away from the crowd, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are even you likewise without understanding? Do you not realize that everything that goes into a person from outside cannot defile, since it enters not the heart but the stomach and passes out into the latrine? Thus he declared all foods clean. But what comes out of the man, that is what defiles him. From within the man, from his heart, come evil thoughts, unchastity, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, licentiousness, envy, blasphemy, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from within, and they defile. The Gospel of the Lord. We have in our readings today two contrasting examples of what lies within a person and the issue of what is outside or around a person. In our first reading, we have the Queen of Sheba coming because she has heard of the wisdom that is within King Solomon. And she has come to probe him and test him in that wisdom to see if the tales she had heard are in fact true. And as she meets the king and as she spends time with the king, she is struck by the wisdom which comes out of him as he answers her questions. The way he explains things. But she is also surrounded by the opulence with which God has blessed him. And she also sees around him the order that he has put into the kingdom and, in fact, into his household. And we hear such things when she saw the way people ate at the table and the way the waiters were dressed. She was impressed. And on the one hand, we want to chuckle over those silly things, but what the scriptures are doing is they're explaining that the wisdom of Solomon touched even the smallest details of his life. That the wisdom with which the Lord had blessed him asserted itself not simply in the things he said, but how well-ordered life was. His manner, in a sense, of living and engaging life was marked by the wisdom with which he had been blessed, and this in no small measure, as much as his words impresses the queen of Sheba. His is a wisdom not merely of concepts, not merely of words, 
but one that puts into good order his own life and the life of his kingdom. And so note how she compliments him, not simply celebrating his wisdom, but the fact that God must really love Israel to make a king like you their king. That their lives be put in good order as well. What a remarkable contrast to the discussion that Jesus has with those who, to whom he is speaking today. This follows up on the incident that we saw yesterday with the Pharisees raising the question of, why are your disciples not washing their hands and undergoing the ritual purifications? And now Jesus follows up that sharp answer that he gave to the Pharisees by calling the people around himself to explain further. And again, here the Lord says, not that externals are unimportant, but that they are not the most important of things. And looking at his brothers and sisters, his fellow Jews, he says, oftentimes we get lost in the external details. And we worry about purifying our hands and purifying our vessels and not mixing certain foods together because we do not want to become impure. And looking at that, Jesus doesn't condemn the practices, but he says, let's be clear. That's not where real impurity comes from. What you eat cannot make you impure. What you touch does not make you impure. What comes into a man from outside, the Lord says, does not make him impure. And here the idea is what physically comes into us. It's the example Jesus uses. Think about what you eat. It doesn't go to your heart. It goes to your stomach. That is not what makes you impure. Rather, pay attention to what's coming out of you, because that's what makes us impure. And so he says, while you're washing your hands, take a look at the attitudes that are living in your heart. While you're worried about all of these other things, take a look how your thoughts have been running. Because the Lord says the heart is where we locate purity or impurity. And the heart is a curious place because it's from the heart that murder emerges. It's from the heart that adultery emerges. It's from the heart that dishonesty emerges. And you're not going to be unclean, you're not going to be impure because of what you've eaten. You're going to be impure because of what you've said, because of what you've done. What comes out of you is what will make you impure. And again, note this idea that what we hold within ourselves sooner or later emerges. 
what we hold within ourselves sooner or later affects and either orders or disorders the world around us. Solomon, the wise king, didn't simply speak from wisdom. He lived according to wisdom, and the wisdom put his life in order. It was recognizable in his manner of living. Solomon is not celebrated as a smart man or an intelligent man. He is celebrated as a wise man. And the wisdom of a wise man is recognizable in more than his words. It is recognizable in and through his actions, in and through his manner of living. So note what the Lord is saying here. Purity and impurity are not measured in terms of certain ritualized gestures that we have, they are measured in terms of what is happening with the life that we are, in fact, living. What an important statement that is. And what an important reminder to everyone that the heart is like a storehouse. And it's from the storehouse that we draw how we will live and what we will use to live. And the Lord is saying then, and what is in your storehouse? What about all those petty resentments? What about that fund of impatience that lives within you? What about that wellspring of pride and overconcern about your reputation that causes you to twist or bend or distort the truth in some way when you speak about yourself or your accomplishment? What about the fears that live in you that you never openly name and yet act out of on a regular basis? What about those permissions that you've given yourself? I love everybody except for these three people. I get along with everybody except when I'm driving and somebody cuts me off. I'm always happy except when I don't get my way, which is all the time. You know, we... Uh, no, 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 I, I'm, really, I'm really generous. I, I think about donating all the time, but I never do. Um, you know, so the Lord, the Lord here is saying, this is what we need to look at. These are the measurables. These are the measurables. What is coming out of me habitually? You know, and one of the things that has been growing just in the world around us well before the pandemic started, but it has gotten worse with the pandemic, is the fact that all of us seem to be acting out of a certain lack of patience, out of a certain reservoir of built-up frustration. And we do it, we lose control of ourselves and then we brush it off and we say, well, I just don't have patience. And the implication with Jesus is, 
well, then maybe we should get some. Then maybe that's pointing out something that is missing in me. What a powerful teaching this is. Now, of course, then the question is, if what comes into us doesn't make us impure, but what comes out of us, and we're working with the wrong material inside, how do we get better stuff inside of us? This is where the importance of prayer, of meditating on the Word of God, the importance of learning to cultivate virtue becomes decisive. In other words, the heart, the reservoir of the heart, the storehouse of the heart needs to be filled with the right things. Notice our responsorial psalm, the mouth of the just man murmurs wisdom. One begins trying to act justly, and as one does so, one begins to acquire a wisdom which will begin speaking in one's living. And this is the other piece of it, then. How do I become more patient? Not by suddenly having within me a marvelous wellspring of patience that I can draw on. One begins becoming more patient by actually controlling his temper and actually stopping oneself from acting impatiently. How does one become more generous? Not by thinking about it and not by simply praying about it. One becomes more generous by actually acting with generosity. One has to do something. How do I become more virtuous? by acting in that way. And actions come out of us, do they not? So notice what the Lord is implying here. If there's a certain licentiousness, a certain self-indulgence, a certain lustfulness, a certain violence, a certain selfishness, which we have or seem to have in abundance within us, that will produce patterns of action, patterns of activity that in the end corrupt us, pollute us, make us impure. And sometimes we believers fall into the trap of, if I just ask God for more patience, I'll get it. If I just ask God for more love, I'll get it. And often what the Lord does when I ask for patience is he gives me somebody who makes me nuts <laughs> so that I learn to acquire patience. <laughs> um, in other words, one has to make decisions about what is the center out of which I'm acting. And these kind of movements are never easy to begin with. It's always easy to make the wrong movement. It's always easy to make the quick and impulsive movement. It is much more difficult to focus oneself to make the just movement, the better movement, the true movement. 
But the more we learn to do that, we build up a habit of acting the right way. And that habit is what we call a virtue. Virtues are habits. Anybody can be honest once in a while. But a person with the virtue of honesty is honest all the time. Anyone can be generous every now and then. But the one who has the virtue of generosity has the habit of being generous. He is consistently generous. He has, in a sense, generosity in his heart. How did it get there? By acting generously. And so we pray and we call out to heaven for the grace we need, the guidance we need to move forward in our moral growth. But the Lord is also stressing sooner or later we actually have to do the moral thing. If what comes out of us makes us impure and unclean, what comes out of us also can demonstrate, as in Solomon's case, the wisdom that has rooted itself within us the justice that has rooted itself within us, the fact that in Christ we have been made clean, and he expects us to live in that cleanliness, the cleanliness of his heart, of his life. And so we come here to Mass, and we're going to experience the irony, in a sense, of Jesus talking about what goes into you can't make you unclean only what comes out of you. And what are we going to do in a couple minutes? We're going to stretch out our hands to his presence. And we're going to say, prayerfully, I hope, you better be making me clean by coming into me. You better be making me clean by coming into me or I've got no shot. But note what it is that we receive. We receive the Lord, his life, his presence, his goodness. And what does he expect? That what will come out of us during the day, having received him, is a goodness like his, a patience like his, a generosity like his. All too often we receive the Lord into our hearts and yet continue to act out of our wellspring of fear and selfishness and pride. But the Lord comes to us in this great sacrament in no small measure to give us another spring for our actions, another source, another fountain, another strength. What comes out of you, the Lord says, that's what matters. I am in you. Let my life and my goodness and my grace come out of you. Amen.